We are looking at just a, a fun series right now, Things to Come, where we are breaking down the different events that are on the prophetic calendar to come. And uh, we have taken a couple Sundays to look at the rapture. We started last Sunday looking at the tribulation and we got through the first half of the tribulation. Today we're gonna get into the second half of the tribulation. We're gonna be picking things up at uh, Revelation chapter 11. If you wanna uh, turn to Revelation 11, if you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, you need a Bible, hold up your hand and we're gonna get our usher uh, whoever is there, Usher, there we go. Usher's gonna bring your Bible. Keep your hand up until the Bibles are delivered. Keep it up so they can see you. And then once you get your Bible, turn to Revelation 11. So we're dealing today with this second half of the tribulation. Now, we saw last week how um, Jesus is pouring out now this first set of judgments that's hitting the world after the rapture of the church into the tribulation period. There are three sets of judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, then the bowl judgments. And each of those sets have seven judgments within them. Seven becomes a very important number. It's the number of, of completion. And so it's as though the Lord is saying, I'm gonna bring about my complete now judgment and, and dealing with um, you know, the world now at this time. And so the first sets of judgments, like I said, take place in the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. And we saw the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. They're listed up there for you. After the seal judgments, we saw an interval as is kind of a very familiar way of Jewish writing. They would give the overall broad picture of something, an event, and then go back and kind of fill in some details after. These interval periods are filling in some of the important things that are going on during that time. Uh, the first interval was dealing with the 144,000 that were sealed of the Lord and who come from every tribe of Israel that are gonna go out and be evangelists during this time. Then we moved in the trumpet judgments. And after the trumpet judgments now, leading up to the midway point of the tribulation, we again have a bit longer of this, this parenthetical break now, this interval that's gonna again reveal some different things that have been going on during that time of the first half of the tribulation. We're gonna touch on that a little bit right now and then move into the second half of the tribulation where the, the bold judgments, the last set of judgments are gonna be poured out and things are gonna get a little bit more intense as we go along into that second half of the tribulation. So last week we talked about how in that first half of the tribulation there'd be a temple that would be rebuilt, all right? The first seal introduced the, the Antichrist coming onto the scene and uh, he's coming now and the, the tribulation is really set in motion by that peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with Israel bringing that safety and peace among all the, the, the nations around there. Um, Daniel chapter nine, verse 27 talks about that, the Antichrist coming and bringing that peace treaty. And that's something that the nations, uh, Israel, have been longing for. It's something that we have not seen happening. Well, that's gonna happen uh, when the Antichrist comes during that last or during that the tribulation period which again that tribulation period is seven year period that's reserved for who for israel it's that uh fulfillment of what daniel 9 spoke about if you haven't been here in our previous messages from this series you want to listen to it online and and you'll see that this is a seven year period that's unfulfilled that daniel talked about that is reserved for the nation of israel and during that time god's going to do work in them but he's going to be 
drawing many people from all nations to him as well. He's prolonging this period of judgment for seven years so that people have an opportunity to be saved. So a temple is gonna be rebuilt. Now notice this in, in chapter 11, verse two. John is told, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. So again, we're seeing some timestamps here to clarify this is a seven year period, but again, it's divided into two halves, three and a half and then three and a half year, the second part, which has been known as the great tribulation. Jesus refers to it as that. And again, it's where things get a little bit more intense. So there's some timestamps here to reveal that 42 months, the temple will be rebuilt. I believe it's gonna be part of that peace treaty and leave out, uh, again, leave out, um, the area given to the Gentiles, right? The, the, the court outside the temple. That could very well be, speaking of the Dome of the Rock, where the temple would be built now, as you saw us talk about last Sunday, built to the side of the uh, Dome of the Rock, where there's plenty of room there up on the Temple Mount. It could be that, like we said, maybe the temple's even gonna be built uh, down the city of, of David. There's a possibility there, but it could be up on the Temple Mount beside the Dome of the Rock, leave out that area, trampled down by the Gentiles for those first Three and a half years, temple will be rebuilt. But then read on in chapter 11, verse three. And here's some things that we see unfolding, like I said, these interval uh, information that's given right now. It says in verse three, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. How long is 1,260 days? Three and a half years. So these two witnesses, I believe, come on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation and they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, giving people an opportunity to repent and be spared from all this uh, fullness of judgment. So two and a, three and a half years, they'll be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. That's a reference to Zechariah that speaks about these things. So they're gonna be filled with the spirit. They're gonna be speaking on behalf of the Lord. Verse five, and if anyone wants to harm them, notice this, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. How awesome is that, eh? Wouldn't that be cool to witness that? That'd be amazing to be there. We're not gonna be there. Maybe we'll have a front row seat from heaven and be like, oh man, there he goes, another one. Yikes. Don't mess with those two. And if anyone wants to harm them at the end of verse five, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So two witnesses are gonna be on the scene doing great things, great signs and wonders happening during this time. They're gonna be proclaiming the good news. They're gonna be breathing out fire. If anybody wants to come against them to stop them, as many people I'm sure are gonna to wanna to shut them up, well, fire's gonna come out and devour them. It's gonna be crazy, right? But now why two witnesses? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So God has two witnesses there saying, listen, what I have always said is true. What these people are saying is true. And it's time to repent and turn to him. He's given people an opportunity. God is continuing to show mercy and give people an opportunity to turn. And I think that's so amazing that even in the midst of Jesus saying, it's time for judgment, He's still allowing people to come to him. That's, that's the amazing heart and grace and mercy of God. So two witnesses. Now, who are these two witnesses? There's been a lot of theories suggested as to who these two might be. Now, the front runners would be Moses and Elijah. Why is that? 
Well, notice what these two are doing. They're stopping up the heavens so that no rain falls, and they have power over waters to turn to blood and all these different plagues. Those are the same kinds of signs that Elijah did in stopping the waters, the rains from coming. A drought happened, and then Moses turning the water to blood in the days of Egypt with the plagues that were going on. Uh, Moses and Elijah also interestingly represent the law and the prophets. I think, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, they are, are two key figures in the Jewish mind, but they're also the two people that stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he allowed himself to be seen to Peter, John, and James in this glorified state along with Elijah and Moses. So it could be Elijah and Moses. Another uh, uh, potential could be that it's Elijah and Enoch because those are the only two people in human history that have never experienced death. They were raptured up before they died. They've never experienced death. And yet Hebrews tells us it's appointed once for every man to die and then face the judgment. So it could be that God allows Elijah and Enoch to come back to the earth where they're gonna stand in Jerusalem for three and a half years, give a testimony, and God say, you know, you haven't, you've gotten off easy. You haven't died yet. So we're gonna make that happen, all right? Because notice what we read here. Look at verse seven. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified, so speaking of Jerusalem. And then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. They're gonna leave them in the streets for three and a half days where they're gonna be rejoicing. It says that they're gonna be exchanging gifts with one another in verse 10 there. That people are so excited that their, their message has finally been stopped and they're dead. Uh, this is just the corrupt uh, nature of man at this time here that they're just rejoicing that they're dead. They're leaving them in the streets. But here's the thing, verse seven introduces us to the beast, all right? That's the first time that it's mentioned, the first of 37 references to the beast in the book of Revelation. He's the Antichrist. That's who we're talking about when we reference the beast here, the Antichrist. And he's gonna be more fully introduced in that parenthetical break in chapter 13 when we talk more about the beast. We'll get to that in in a moment here. But he's the guy that comes on the scene and it's been three and a half years now, so it's the midway point. And you see what's gonna happen is in the midway point, the Antichrist is really gonna begin to show his true colors, that he's not Israel's friend, that he's not for their peace. And he's gonna kill these two people. And they're gonna lie in the streets, they're gonna rejoice. But then notice here that verse 11, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in the cloud and their enemies saw them. So here, these two, they experienced death, but then they're resurrected up. They're called to come up here, this rapture view again, and they're brought up to heaven. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So there's some pretty amazing, remarkable events that are unfolding right now during this time. With these two witnesses speaking into the first half of the tribulation, they die, they're left, but then they are resurrected. Imagine that. I mean, they, people thought they saw something pretty crazy when fire's coming out of their mouth, but now they're lying in the streets dead for three and a half days, and all of a sudden, one day, they just all of a sudden pop back up and like, hey guys, what did I miss? Three and a half days? How's everybody doing? Are you ready for more? And people, I'm sure, just freaking out but then they're raptured up and then this great earthquake 
comes and, and much of the city is destroyed and people are just full of fear. It's a, it's a crazy time. But then chapter 12 now, we're, we're moving through just looking at the different things unfolding during this tribulation period. Chapter 12 is an interesting passage. It's a, when you read it, you're kind of like, what in the world is it talking about? But what we're seeing is this, this um, age-old cosmic battle that has been waging between Satan and the Lord and how Satan has been looking to stop the work of the Lord and the plans of the Lord from unfolding. Much of what God has designed in bringing the Messiah into the world has been about the nation of Israel. And so Satan has been against his people. Now notice this here, look at chapter 12, verse one. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and, drew, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Verse six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and they should feed her there 1,206 days. Another reference. How long is that? Again, three and a half years, 1,260 days that they're gonna be finding this place of refuge and safety. So when you look at this, you see that there's a woman that's introduced. She's got some weird stuff going on. She's got the sun, uh, clothes of the sun, moon under her feet, and a head of garland with 12 stars. You're going, that looks very interesting. And she's pregnant. She gives birth to this child who it tells us in verse five, will rule the nations. And you go, well, that sounds like Mary. And a lot of people have gone, well, this is Mary. And Mary's, you know, they'll say is prominent person in, in, in some <laughs> circles, right? You know, uh, Catholicism, Mary's the one that we worship. And here she is being highlighted here in Revelation 12. She's so wonderful, prominent. I don't believe this is Mary that we're speaking of here. I believe this is talking about the nation of Israel. He's got the 12 garland, the, the 12 stars as a head garland. That's referencing, I believe, the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel and it's Israel that ultimately God said you are going to be the one that's going to birth the promise the promised seed the Messiah is going to come through the line of Israel and so I believe chapter 12 is identifying for us this cosmic age-old battle that's been going on where Satan has been looking to stop the nation of Israel and especially stop the Messiah from coming. That's why we've seen multiple episodes throughout scripture where Satan stepped in and, and used human agents to try to wipe out the Jews. And it's even gone on into recent history. This is a, a spiritual battle. This is being driven by the dragon in verse three. Who's the dragon? It's Satan. Satan is the dragon here and there's a spiritual component to this anti-Semitic hatred towards Israel. It's existed from the beginning, why? Because Satan knew that it would come through the line of Israel that he, Genesis 3.15, would have his head crushed. And he's going, I gotta stop this, this one, this Messiah, this promised one. I gotta stop him from coming. And he knows it's gonna come through Israel, so he's looked to wipe out Israel. So this is what's unfolding, but what's interesting is from verse five of chapter 12 to verse six, look at those two there. There's a gap between verse five and verse six of about 2,000 years right now. Because verse five highlights how 
This one that will be birthed out of Israel, the Messiah, will rule the nations with a rod of iron and then will be caught up to God in his throne. That's where Jesus is today. He's ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. But then suddenly, verse six, thrusts us forward, ultimately, to the midway point of the tribulation. Look at what we read. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she is a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. See, what happens at the midway point of the tribulation? The Antichrist, who's being empowered by Satan, we'll see that in a second. The Antichrist is gonna go into the temple and he's gonna seek to be worshiped as God. And right then and there, the Jews are gonna recognize that's not the guy we thought he was. We thought this was the Messiah, the promised one. He's led us in the rebuilding temple. He's brought peace to us. But now he's seeking to be worshiped as God. That's not the guy we thought he was. The Antichrist is gonna come. He's gonna kill the two witnesses. All the more gone, this guy is trouble. And the Antichrist is gonna amp up his hatred and his fury against Israel. Jesus spoke about this very thing that we're seeing there in Revelation 12, verse 6, when in Matthew 24, Jesus speaking to his disciples said in verse 15, therefore when you see the abomination desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in this, on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus says there's gonna be great tribulation at that point. When you see the abomination of desolation, flee. And what do we see in verse six? Then the woman fled into the wilderness. We believe that God has a specific place reserved for that remnant of Israel, that time during the tribulation where they're gonna flee. We believe it's the place known as Petra, uh, uh, an incredibly fortified refuge today. I've been there a couple times. It's an amazing sight to behold. And we believe that God, and, and using other scriptures that reference Christ coming out of Edom, that place uh, where Petra is, that this is the area that God's gonna lead Israel during that time where they're gonna be safe, they're gonna be able to find refuge and retreat from the likes of the enemy coming against them. It's an amazing thing to see. Now, interestingly, up until this time, Satan has had access to heaven. See, a lot of times we think Satan is kind of held up in hell. He's sitting in hell, this is his home. He's kind of, you know, sitting by a cauldron with fire and stew and waiting for all of his guests to arrive, you know? Like that's kind of the idea we get sometimes. But Satan's not in hell. Satan, it says, is roaming the earth seeking whom he may devour. And he's actually even got access to heaven right now. According to the book of Job, we see that he comes and he's there along with the other angels in the presence of God. But notice what we see happening here in verse 13 of chapter 12. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman and um, persecuted the, the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the, 
the enemy right now is full of fury. He's cast out of heaven, taking a, a, what's believed to be a, a third of the angels. According to verse 4 of chapter 12, it tells us that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. Oftentimes, that term is used in synonymously with angels. So it's believed he took a third of the angels with him. And this intensity now as he's cast out of heaven, this intensity just ramps up against Israel during this last half of the, the tribulation. So verse nine, I don't know if I read verse nine even, uh, back it up to, to verse nine there. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Going down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. I said that's the, the, the slogan I need to put on the back wall when I'm preaching my messages here. He knows he has a short time. I need to remind myself. I just got a short time. Get it all in there. But Satan knows he's got a short time. He knows that his time is soon up. So again, he just cranks things up now during the tribulation period. But now, look at chapter 13 because Satan is going to be working through these human agents. And we're introduced to one of those now in chapter 13. Look at what it says. Verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Let me stop right there. So this beast now is speaking of the Antichrist. This is that human agent that Satan is going to work through, this political leader that's going to come on the scene, bringing everybody together in this globalism. We saw the Antichrist introduced to us in chapter 6, as I said, but now he's given a bit more description as to who he is, his role. He's going to be this political leader that's going to bring all nations together, especially after the rapture, when things are in chaos. Already we see the world striving for, looking for this global unity. Well, the Antichrist is going to be the one that's going to bring leadership to that. He's going to emerge, but he's going to be, he's going to be led by Satan. At, at the end of verse 2, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And notice the description of the Antichrist here in verse 1 is just like what we read regarding the dragon in chapter 12, verse 3. Because they both come with seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns. This is believed to be this confederation of nations, these ten nations that will come together all the more to be kind of the launching point for this global kind of leadership. But it's the same kind of identity that the dragon was seen as in chapter 12, verse 3. Now, what is that all talking about? Well, this is the beast, uh, the beast final empire, the Antichrist empire. It's the last world empire before Jesus comes back. John describes the beast as having the characteristics of all the previous empires, which was having that, the, the leopard, the bear, and the lion. Now, how do you know that those animals are representing kingdoms or empires? That seems like a bit of a stretch. Well, we go back to Daniel chapter 7, and we see that those same animals are mentioned in Daniel chapter 7 when Daniel was given the prophecy of the different nations that were to come that would overthrow them and then eventually overthrow one another. And it was speaking of kingdoms. Daniel first mentioned the lion, which pictured Babylon. 
Then the bear, which pictured the Medo-Persian empire that overthrew Babylon. And then the leopard pictured Greece, who came in very swiftly, right? And overthrew the Persians, conquering the world. What's very interesting is when John looks at these, he sees these animals in reverse from what Daniel does. Daniel sees them yet to come. So he mentions those animals as they're gonna come. Uh, Babylon, the, the bear, and then uh, the lion, and then the leopard, because those are the things that are gonna come. Dan, or sorry, John in Revelation is looking at them from reverse. He's saying they've already come. He sees them first as Greece, then Persia, and then Babylon. That's why I mentioned the leopard, the lion, and the bear in that order. A little bit reversed from Daniel, so a little bit interesting there. But that's what's happening. This is this empire that the Antichrist is going to be ruling from. The last empire before Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. Now Satan is going to be looking to counterfeit much of what Jesus does during the tribulation period. He counterfeits um, how Jesus seals the 144,000 Jews, he has his own mark and seal, as we'll see in a minute. He's gonna counterfeit the Lord by bringing together this kind of unholy trinity. We've got the dragon already, Satan. We've got the Antichrist, the beast. Well, another beast emerges to complete this unholy trinity. Look at verse 11 of chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. This now is the false prophet that emerges. And the false prophet comes alongside to work with the Antichrist and ultimately lead people into the worship and the allegiance to the Antichrist. You see, in the tribulation period, religion and economics are gonna be closely linked together in this time of great apostasy and totalitarianism like we've never seen before. Notice there in chapter 13, verse 16. Key passage here. Verse 16 says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, many believe that that number 666 is simply... Uh, a representation of the name of the Antichrist. Uh, Hebrew letters had numerical, uh, you know, um, significance to them. And so that number is most likely identifying the name of the Antichrist. Nevertheless, however you want to break that down, what we see happening is this system that is getting implemented in this time of tribulation where you need to take this mark just to be able to kind of function just to be able to buy and sell. And what makes this so interesting is never before have we seen things kind of falling in a place where we can see a system like that happening. I mean, I would read, you know, this passage as a, a, a young child, even just a few years ago, and, and think, boy, what is that gonna be like, right? When people are forced to have to do something just to be able to buy and sell and think, man, that's gonna be strange. How are people gonna make it? How are, you gonna, how, are you, how are these people gonna survive? And yet to see that that's the very kind of reality that we're living in now today to some extent, it boggles my mind. What that does also is causes me to go, if this is gonna happen during the tribulation and we're already seeing those things kind of falling into place now, what does that mean? It means to me that the Lord is coming soon. 
And the Bible says, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws near, guys. We gotta have our eyes focused upwards on Christ because he's coming soon. I'm excited about that. Now, the question that a lot of people love to ask these days is, is the vaccination the mark of the beast? And I gotta tell you, it is, it, it actually is. No, I'm just kidding, I'm teasing you. No, no, it's not. I know, it's not. And let me just say, our, our view at the church here, listen, uh, everybody has freedom to choose what is gonna be right for them in these matters. These are not salvation matters here. Nobody is taking the mark. Nobody can take the mark right now. Why? Because the Antichrist isn't here. And guess what? The Antichrist isn't gonna be revealed, 2 Thessalonians chapter two, until the church is raptured up, until the church is gone. So guess what? We're not gonna be here when this mark is implemented. You better not be here when the mark is implemented. That means you got a lot more things to worry about. You've been living a lie at that point, then you're going, what happened? We're not gonna be here because the Lord's not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation. We're gonna be raptured, that's a promise that we have here. And so when the church is raptured up, then the Antichrist will be revealed. But this system seems like it may not be introduced until maybe the midway point of the tribulation. We don't know the timing of it exactly, but it's gonna happen at a, at a point in the tribulation where people need to take the mark. And guess what? The mark now is gonna be linked to the worship and the allegiance of the Antichrist. I don't think you can take the mark by accident. You can't take a mark and think, well, I just thought I was gonna be able to buy groceries. I didn't know it was linked to uh, worship of the Antichrist. No, you're gonna know when you take the mark what this is all about. And only those that are willing to say, man, I'm not... I'm not gonna live for the Lord. I'm gonna choose to follow the ways of the Antichrist. That's what's gonna be involved in this year. But what we're seeing today is certainly, I believe, the preconditioning for such types of social compliance and various rights being taken away unless you receive what leaders and government is mandating. We're seeing that coming into full force right now. That's gonna be the exact same thing as what the Antichrist and the false prophet are gonna be introducing in that time. Just recently, we saw, the, um, we saw the premier of Victoria there in Australia, Daniel Andrews, vowed to lock out the unvaccinated when it comes to medical care and conducting commerce. He said this, there is going to be a vaccinated economy and you get to participate in that if you are vaccinated. We're gonna to move to a situation where to protect the health system, we are going to lock out people who are not vaccinated and can be. That's a vaccinated economy. And this is what we're seeing with the Antichrist that people aren't gonna be able to function in economics unless they have the mark. So what we're seeing is this conditioning, this things falling into place, getting people prepared to say, when this happens, yeah. We're all the, all the ready to receive it. We're seeing technology advancing like never before where people are getting used to doing things on a biometrics level, which very well this mark could be, a biometrics level to say, this is what we need to have and do in order to buy and sell. If you haven't heard of Amazon One, check this out, we'll play this little video. This is Zoe. Just like you, she uses lots of different cards and IDs to get through her day. What if all Zoe needed was herself? Introducing Amazon One, a free service that lets you use your palm to quickly pay for things, gain access, earn rewards, and more. Let's say you're grabbing your favorite coffee beverage. 
or heading into the office, or checking out. Just hover your palm and you're on your way. It's as easy as that. Sign up is free and takes less than a minute. All you need is a credit card, your phone number, and your palm. That's it. That's it. So we're getting people prepared. Some people, we've even seen one person now tattooing his, his vaccination pass on his arm and using that to scan. And so here's the thing. We don't know if the mark is going to be uh, a tattoo that receives that mark, or it could very well be, uh, people often thought it could be a microchip that gets planted because what's going to happen now, uh, you know, with different passes and things like that that we see, those things can be counterfeit. They can be copied, you know. I wouldn't mind having a, a copied vax pass from somebody and use that, but you, you can have these kinds of things that you can get by. So now a microchip could be something that will do away with this kind of black market and kind of this counterfeiting of these things. Microchips um, are, people have already implanted themselves with microchips to be able to uh, have access to office buildings, to unlock doors, to unlock different things using a microchip. The advancement that we're seeing in these things is incredible. Just this week, I've uh, seen this video that was passed on to me about the advancement of technology. This isn't a microchip that can be implanted. Maybe it could be, but check out what they're doing now with some of these things. The goal of this project has been to add capability for winged flight to electronic circuit chips uh, with the idea that those capabilities would allow us to distribute highly functional but miniaturized electronic devices that could sense the environment for disease tracking, population surveillance, maybe monitoring of environmental contamination uh, and so Did you hear that? Population surveillance. I say no thank you. I'm good without that. But what they're seeing and developing now is these small microchips. You saw it next to an ant. It was small. You saw it on the fingertip of a person. You could barely see it. These things are becoming so small and yet so technologically advanced at what they're capable of doing. To have these things flying around and monitoring things, you just go, my goodness, we are living in this crazy time right now where, you know, the implementation of whatever this mark is going to be is available right now. It's available right now. And so I believe we're living in exciting times when we're seeing these things unraveling. All the more we can see that God's plans are ultimately coming into fruition and, uh, and time is short. Well, time is short, definitely. And um, chapter 16 moves into the last set of judgments now, the bold judgments. The bold judgments come, and notice this in, in chapter 16, verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out this, his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So now this first bowl judgment comes, and it seems to be the target is those that took the mark, almost as though whatever they were taking, some 
maybe technological thing did not kind of agree with their physiological system and, and sores and things began to break out. I mean, it's amazing to think that the government would ever uh, look to appropriate something that wasn't fully tested or healthy or real. That could never happen, you would think. But here in the end times, the government's gonna be giving you something that may not, whether it's supernatural and God just, you know, breaks these things out or it's a result of what they're taking and the effect of what they're taking with this mark we don't know but god forbid that ever happening today in lake manor listen i'm going to move on here before i get myself in trouble but uh verse two verse three the second bull the sea turns to blood and notice this at the end of verse three every living creature in the sea died and then the fourth the third bull sorry though the fresh waters were turned to blood and then the fifth Oh man, I'm just messing up my numbers right now. Sorry, it's late here. The fourth bowl, thank you. Keep me honest, everybody. Fourth bowl, the sun was touched and it scorched men. Look at verse nine. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Now, let me just go back a bit here because we saw the second bowl affected the seas. The third bowl affected fresh waters and the fourth uh, affected the sun. And that's exactly what we saw happening with the trumpet judgments. But in the trumpet judgments, it was kind of in part, the seas were affected, but a third of all living creatures in the sea died and all the, a third of the ships. Imagine, you know, commerce and trade being affected by a third of the ships at that time. You know, think about the empty grocery shelves that would be happening as a result of commerce being affected that way. But now, it's all living creatures died from the bull judgment. Uh, in the trumpet judgments, a third of the freshwaters are affected. Now it's all the freshwaters are affected. And now the sun just heats up all the more. This is paralleling what we saw the trumpet judgments, but now it's getting even more intense. As I said, the last half of the tribulation gets even more intense. And people now notice this. You would think at this point, people would be saying, okay, God, we get it. You're it. I'm gonna follow you now. I'm gonna repent finally, you've gotten my attention, but no. It says that they would rather blaspheme God and they did not repent and give him glory. You know, we have opportunity right now, the same sun that hardens the clay is the same sun that can come and, and, and melt away, you know, ice, whatever it, whatever it is. But it's the same God that is at work that's either drawing people to him with a, a heart that's ready to yield and surrender or you're either gonna have a heart that continues to harden yourself to the point where you just will not accept. It's the same thing we saw happen with Pharaoh in the plagues. Similar plagues that we see here in this time happened in, in Egypt. And what happened, Pharaoh at first was seeming like he was gonna relent and repent but then continue to harden his heart. And they continue to blaspheme God. I pray that your heart is remaining soft before the Lord where you're saying, God, you have my attention. You have my life. I wanna serve you with every day that I've got. No matter what comes, no matter what goes on, Lord, I'm yours. I'm gonna serve you. There's gonna be nothing better than living for the Lord and serving him. He's it. He's our life. There's nothing greater. Now, we see the fifth bull darkness and pain this darkness came upon um, the throne of the beast in his kingdom 
became full of darkness. And notice this in verse 10, they gnawed their tongues because of the pain, but yet they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sorrows and did not repent to their deeds. They continued to just hold off. As much as they're in pain over these things, they refused to repent. And then the, the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dries up, which gives way now for these, these armies of the east to come down now towards Israel, which is gonna open up the way for this battle of Armageddon. We're gonna get into that next week. We'll pick it up with the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ, which is all, all closely linked together. So we'll pick that up next time. But let me close with just looking at Mystery Babylon. Chapter 17 and 18 reserves two chapters to really deal with this final judgment upon Mystery Babylon. Because what's happening, like I said here now, is this kingdom of the beast is really tied to this false religious system and false economic system. It says in, in Revelation 16, verse 19, now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nation fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Babylon has been referred to as that system that is in opposition to God. And they're gonna receive this fullness of their due and judgment. Now, Babylon was a real city, but throughout scripture, like I said, it became synonymous with the world system and that system that's opposed to God. So chapter 17, 18 detail the fall of religious Babylon and then commercial or economic Babylon. Look at chapter 17, verse one. It says there, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a, a, a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Verse five, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So this false religious system is rightly called the mother of harlots. Why? Because they were leading people away from being true and faithful to God and in the worship of God and they led people away into harlotry as Israel was oftentimes referred to as for walking in unfaithfulness and into idolatry. Well, now people here in this time are being led away into an idolatrous worship that was apart from the Lord. Now, next up then, after the judgment of this religious Babylon is the economic system, commercial Babylon. And that too lured people into prosperity and profiting off of the people. It's a system of the Antichrist that's being judged here. These are the systems of the world, again, that are in opposition to God's ways. And God's gonna bring this finality of judgment. Look at what we read in chapter 18 now, verse four. It says this. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, 
I sit as queen and am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And then the kings of the earth, verse 9, who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. In one hour your judgment has come. What a reminder for us to be careful of what we're living for. Because it all comes to nothing this side of heaven. This world is temporary. And we have to keep that in mind. Only what we have invested into God and his kingdom has any lasting value. What are you storing or where are you storing your riches today? It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So these times that we go through heavy scripture like this, judgment, you know, the wrath of God coming out upon uh, a world, these are heavy scriptures, but it causes us to evaluate ourselves. What am I truly living for? Because this is the end result of the systems of this world. And we can so easily fall prey to living for those things, giving allegiance to those things, having our, our worth or our value in those things. But in an hour, they come to nothing, it tells us. Not only in verse, um, not only in verse where was it, 11, 10? Yeah, the end of verse 10, but also in verse 17. It says the same thing, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. It's a reminder for us that there's no value in this world. There's value only in living for Jesus. And I pray that as we go through scriptures like this, it causes us to have a heart all the more to be ready for the return of the Lord and to share with people that there's hope to be found. It's not gonna be found in this world because this world is coming to nothing. The Lord's gonna deal with it. But there's everything to be gained in Jesus Christ. And that's the message and the word and the good news that we get to pass on to people that they might be spared, that they might find hope today. I love what Jesus says. In the midst of the bulls going out, back in chapter 16, verse 15, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He says that to those that are remaining in the tribulation who've gotten saved. It says, blessed is he who watches. For us, we're not watching for the second coming, as these people will be. We're watching for the rapture. We're watching for the return of Jesus when he gathers us together to meet him in the clouds. I pray that we are watching and we are anticipating the return of Jesus and that we're keeping ourselves faithful, not letting ourselves get spoiled by the things of this world, keeping our garments clean as it tells us there. That's the word that goes out to these tribulation saints at that time. I think it's a word that we can apply to ourselves right now. Oh, behold, he's coming soon as a thief. Blessed is the one who watches, keeps themselves faithful for the Lord. Oh, may we be that church. May we be that person that is watching and waiting expectantly, hopefully, 
in the return of the Lord. Well, with Babylon being destroyed now in Revelation 17, 18, we uh, prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord next week. We'll pick it up. We'll deal with the battle of Armageddon, what that's all about, and then we'll talk about the second coming of Christ. All right, so next week, we'll continue on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just grateful for this time to come together and, and uh, yeah, just hear from you in your word. Be reminded of these things, though, though heavy as they are, Lord, we're reminded just of that hope we have in you and that you're coming again soon. Lord, may we not be living in fear or worry, but be living with joy and victory because we're in you. God, we're, we're safe in you. So may we live that life for you and live this life to its fullest potential right now to just make you known and to share with many people around us. Use us, use this church, Lord, to be uh, living very evangelistically in these days and see many come to know you. And so lead us on now. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.